0: You're listening to the Footnotes Podcast, the weekly sermon companion from the teaching team at Real Life. This is a chance to dig a little deeper, chase a few rabbit trails, and touch on some topics that the team may have not been able to fit into their Sunday sermons. We hope this provides a glimpse behind the scenes at the discussion that helps form each week's message. Welcome to Footnotes. It's been a while. This is Paul Patterson. Today we got Marty. Howdy. And back in the corner, Tyler. Hello, everybody. Uh, Derek might be joining us here in a bit. Unfortunately, Aaron will not be able to be part of this. He had to step out for um, a thingamajigger. Well, hey, welcome back. Sorry it's been so long. Uh, Just with the schedules, the holidays, everything that's been going on, and the financial series it just has not been conducive to footnotes. So we wanted to definitely get one out for the first week of Genesis. And we definitely have a lot to talk about because when it comes to Genesis 1, it cannot be overemphasized how important and uh, how deep the implications are of Genesis 1. One thing that we alluded to, um, but we really didn't have time to explore at any length, was that when the people of Israel are reading Genesis 1, in the back of their brain, they are making comparisons to all the other creation mythologies that they Either have already been indoctrinated with, or creation mythologies that they're that they were about to engage with, with the land that they're going to. So uh, one of the more popular ones uh, is this one called the Enuma Elish, which is a Babylonian creation mythology. Uh, it was written on seven clay tablets, and so and you could. Uh, it also has a seven day creation week, and it's primarily about the god Marduk, and how Marduk comes to power. It talks about how the creation of humans, how humans are uh, created to serve uh, to serve the gods. And there's some stark contrast in just the, the general nature of what we see in the Enuma Elish in comparison with Genesis 1. Uh, do you want to jump in on that?
1: At all? Well, one of the things I would pull out, I, <clears throat> I bet you could even speak a lot more to this, but one of the things I think... Maybe we mentioned in one of the campuses, maybe we didn't, but the idea, because these are ideas that they're familiar with, the thing that's going to stand out are the things that are different, Mm -hmm. things that aren't similar to the stories, and the one that jumps out for me is this story on seven clay tablets. If they're familiar with that, having Babylonian heritage and history, I would imagine it would be a creation story they're familiar with. It would have drawn out the chiasm of Genesis, Mm. because... Each one of these days being on each one of these tablets. And yet, when you read Genesis, there's this definite, like, I think as I preached in, in Moscow, this mommy, this baby, mommy, daddy paragraph, daddy, mommy, baby paragraph. And if they were familiar with this other rendering of the creation story, um, they would have been used to days of a whole lot more content. So, day one, that's it. And then day two, okay, that's a little more. Day, I, I think it would have drawn out the chiasm a little sure. bit. And that would have been a nice
0: attribute of that. Um, I, I also think uh, just the general piece of Genesis 1 would have been weird. Uh, like the the first line of the first tablet says, of uh, the, the Enuma Elish says, When the sky above was not named, the earth beneath did not bear a name and the prim, uh, the primeval Apsu who be, who begat them, and Chaos, Tiamat, the mother of them both, their waters were mingled together, no field was formed, no marshes was to be seen. When of the gods, none had been called into being. And it's from this scene that chaos starts to ensue, and there's a battle among the gods. Uh, it is from the blood of, uh, I want to say Enki, I'm pretty sure that's wrong, uh, one of the gods that gets, maybe it's Tiamat, I forget. One of the gods is slain by Marduk and from the blood of that god is where humanity is formed and like it's just really chaotic scene uh, of the gods being at war and striving and it's in that process that humanity's created.
1: Yeah, and I think that's going to run through a lot of different creation myths like kind of the birthplace and the bedrock of a lot of these myths is just chaos because these myths are trying to explain Uh, The brokenness and the chaos of the world that we live in because that's just something that we all experience and so Human default assumes that the world is birthed out of brokenness Birthed out of chaos and that's going to be true Of a lot of these and the other one that comes out of that is because things are birthed out of chaos um, We have a tendency to create stories built on fear Mm -hmm. That this chaos is all around us and if we only do X Y and Z will be able to hold the chaos at bay. And you talked about this particular story, being that man, mankind was created for the service of the gods. And that's going to run throughout a lot of creation myths and and different religious mythology, because well, we ha- we must be here to appease the gods, because if, if we don't appease the gods, the gods aren't happy. And it's the gods that... Uh, that cause all this chaos around us versus the creation story is going to have another one of those differences. Yeah. Instead of us being made in service to the gods or having a story based on fear, we are invited into fellowship with the God, mm-hmm. uh, into a place of rest and trust, something totally opposite from fear and
0: duty mm-hmm. and appeasement. So uh, if Israel, uh, first time engaging with Genesis one's coming out of Egypt, where they would have spent 400 years one of the creation mythologies that they would have been most familiar with in fact probably believed would have been the egyptian one and uh off the top of my head i I recall there's the four different variations that we have discovered but they're all pretty similar and surprise surprise once again there is this uh seven day creation week uh and it's incredibly similar um for example on day one it, it tells you that light, that there's this lifeless, chaotic, watery deep. It's from this that wind and breath over the waters are formed, uh, with the god of moon. Uh, we have the thought and word of Ptah, which creates a tomb, uh, which is in, create, uh, in relationship to light. We have a primordial hill in the midst of noon that arises from the firmament, the procreation of the sky, uh, formation of the heavenly ocean, the waters above, with Nut, the formation of dry ground with Geb, The sun is created, raw. Uh, we have plants and animals. And then, and here's another interesting difference, we have the creation of gods, their statuses, their sites, and their offerings. And this is where we see the image of gods being created. And so what we find is that when you read Genesis 1, uh, when we find the creation of the images of God, it is not different gods, it's actually us. Which would have been a dramatic, uh, revolutionary thing thought that we are actually the idols of god and i believe the hebrew word um i don't have it on the top of my head uh anyway it's the same word that is used in different places to talk about idols Hmm. um anyway so that that would have been a revolutionary thing in in the egyptian mythology there's there's still all this chaos um and I think you, you're you more familiar with this, too. Um, but like one of their gods was Apep, who was this great snake god of chaos. Mm-hmm. And every day ended with the sun god Ra being pulled, I forget by who, uh, but it descends into the water watery abyss, and Ra and Apep wrestle and fight, and you're just praying that uh, Ra wins yet again and comes out the other side. And so the Egyptian mythology just is full of this uncertainty and chaos and um and you uh you brought up earlier when we're meeting about the the cartouche yeah
1: yeah so in in egypt whenever you're looking at hieroglyphics like one of the ways that you identify a pharaoh's name is the pharaoh's name always appears in what's called a cartouche it's like a big oval bubble that represents the vault that was made we would say in day two of our creation story Uh, appears in different places in those different Egyptian narratives, but always there. You always have this vault because, as you talked about, the gods in Egypt are always pictured in a barge. Uh, They saw the heavens, almost every ancient culture saw the heavens as a watery sea because the stars moved, so they thought it must be water up there. Mm -hmm. That's where rain comes from, it must be water. And so, the gods, they said, the sun, you imagine the sun rising and setting, so the gods, they thought, must must travel in a barge in the waters above the vault and then descend into the waters below the vault and just go in this circle, which is what you referenced in that battle of the Egyptian gods. And that means that our world that we live in is the vault that separates the waters above from the waters below. And the reason that Pharaoh's name always appears in the cartouche is because Pharaoh is the one that keeps the vault open like he's the one that sustains and gives stability and gives us security and all those things probably no relevance here to any of our no modern experiences but we have we have in this the leader the pharaoh the king the great high priest does the will of the gods and he's the one that helps in some cases would be the one that helps ra or whoever have these have victory Mm-hmm. And if Pharaoh ever fails to do his job, and Ra ever loses, we'll be right back. The vault will collapse, which is interesting. Because if the vault collapses, what would you get?
0: Watery chaos? A
1: big, massive flood, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, which would be where we head next. And, but, yeah, so they have this... Um, I don't, they,
0: don't give any spoilers. Uh, I know.
1: Spoiler alert. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, they, um, they. you have another story built off of the same principles we looked at before. And yet God's story tells something totally different. Every creation story built on fear, built on chaos, built on if we don't, then X, Y, and Z. So we've got to A, B, and C. And God's story says, no, just mm-hmm. just stop.
0: And in, in all these stories, whether it's the Egyptian, the Babylonian, the Mesopotamian, it doesn't really matter. All the stories, the creation of humans is either an accident or... Um, like a byproduct of something or it's a, an act of rebellion at which the other gods attempt to fix, which means get rid of us. And you, you see this with, you know, know, within Greek mythology, Uh, for example, when, you know, a Greek God gives humanity fire, that Greek God is punished. Right. Um, Like you, you, you see humanity in all these mythologies are never the highlight. They're never the centerpiece. They're always this unfortunate accident or byproduct Right. At which means, like, we could be destroyed at any moment if we don't keep a god on our side. Right,
1: and there's always a relationship of conflict. Yeah, rather than a relationship of fellowship, which I think we just most of us have grown up familiar with the story of the Bible, and we just take that for granted. I don't think we catch the the subversive counter narrative that mm-hmm. they would have sensed in a creator, a mysterious, let alone monotheistic. A mysterious creator God who seeks to have fellowship with the man that he creates.
0: And his name isn't mentioned right away, which is weird. Right. Like all these other stories, uh, everyday creation is tied to a specific deity that is named. Right. Um, with this one, there's this, in the beginning, God. Right. And if you are if you are an Israelite who spent 400 years in Egypt, your first question would be, which God? Right. And Which in so our right. days, like in our day, like... The, the influence of monotheism on our day is just incredible mm-hmm. um, Right but for them, like, which god? Right. What is this god? Right, this is crazy exactly, yep um, and then the creation of, of mankind is weird, like, wait we're, we're the image of this god we don't have to serve idols, we don't have to serve uh, these divine appointed human beings that keep the world in, in peace uh, but it's actually us um and this, I, I think this relates to another uh, uh, theme that we find in Genesis, but we often miss. And I've just been coming, su- I've just becoming familiar with it recently through a book. But there's this, uh, a lot of scholarly work that is showing that Genesis 1 is a temple text. Mm-hmm. That there's a, this is a text that, the type of genre is the type of text that would be read at the, uh, the ordination of a temple of a god. And so what you see is that God's creating his temple and uh, he's setting it up. He's establishing it. And then when he rests, he's, he's, um, he's taking his temple. He's, uh, inhabiting it. And so what's different then is that there is no building, but rather it's creation itself. That is his temple. It's the earth that he dwells in. Right. And I think this is, uh, this obviously works well with a bunch of other scripture, oh, yeah. um, how the earth is full of his glory. Um, and I, th- and I think it also works well um, with the idea of the tabernacle. How huh? the tabernacle is another scene of the garden. Absolutely. Um, which is why I don't know if we're going to talk about it in this sermon or not. But uh, heaven and earth, uh, you know, start in unison. They are both the same. And I think as in verse two, or verse three of Genesis, when God creates the firmament, He calls it the heaven, mm-hmm. um, which I I think is important to to notice that heaven isn't necessarily a distant thing it's right right it's it's the atmosphere that we live in yeah it's a part
1: of creation so yeah and you're right about the temple imagery like one of the things that we study when we go over to the middle east quite a bit is all kinds of ancient temples in the middle east especially greco-roman temples uh the pillars that are put like pillars are always a part of greco-roman temples and many many other cultures as well whether it's uh Hittite or Persian Phrygian any of those kind of cultures because the pillars give you the thought of gives you the impression well Tyler you were in some temples this summer yeah I was big pillars in there big pillars yeah what uh, what impression do you get what kind of feeling do you get as you walk through the temples
0: um well you feel like you're you're entering something different something new um a unique space yeah it's, it's a holy, I mean, it's, it's not a space that you find yourself in unintentionally.
1: Right. right. And, the, and the word that we actually use for that courtyard is a borrowed Persian word, timonas. And timonas meant paradise. Hmm. And when you're walking amongst these pillars, one of the things the pillars is supposed to give you the feeling of is, I'm walking in the midst of these gigantic ancient trees. Hmm. It gives you the image and the feeling of being in a garden and walking into that paradise space. And so that was a common idea for lots and lots and lots of these cultures that creation was temple and temple was creation. I've been told, and I think you might've read this book that John H Walton has a book, the lost world of Genesis one. And it deals quite a bit with this idea of, of creation as temple. Yeah.
0: And there's, there's so much in there. Um, worth reading, worth reading again. Um, uh, w- one thing he talks about, and this is kind of foreshadowing into next week, but he talks about uh, the, in a lot of these mythologies at the time. There's this idea of the the Garden of the Gods, mm-hmm. uh, very prevalent in Babylonian mythology, um, and so in fact, it, and he makes a, a good tie with the Tower of Babel to that as well, and that uh, mankind was attempting to create the Garden of the Gods again. Mm. Um, mm. Anyway. Uh, and he just shows the audacity of what Genesis once states that there like there is a single God, and his temple is the earth mm-hmm. um which means where do you find God mm-hmm. anywhere uh right. and and we start seeing clues of that as we work through genesis mm-hmm. um, like uh is it Bethel uh sure they did not know that God was in this place no yeah, yeah uh we we find this subversiveness of God um that he's, he's slowly revealing himself through Genesis. Um, like he's always been there, but we just, we didn't know. Right. Um, and I think this is a common narrative through scripture, that God's slowly revealing himself to creation try, and as he woos them back. Right. Yeah, that's good. Um. Yeah. Well, there's so much other stuff, and I'm not entirely sure what we are not going to talk about in the sermon, so I don't want to take anything away from that. I mean, we could talk about the how we like to divide spiritual and physical, um, but Genesis 1 makes that very clear that we, we can't. God, right. God marries the two. We are spiritual and physical.
1: Right. In Genesis 1, there is no other place.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Like, there is no other, there's no heaven. Like, heaven is... Here. Here. And at the end of the Bible, which this is spoiler alert for mm-hmm. <laughs> the end of 2017 it all comes back down we're told that heaven descends to the and new jerusalem and the bride and church and all of that there's a reunion of these two uh realities and there's no other place at the end of the story either yeah and so uh aaron was actually talking before he had to step out aaron was talking about ray Vanderlaan and how the image that he'll use is um I guess I can't give you an image on an audio. A
0: Venn diagram. Uh, a yeah, a
1: Venn diagram that gets pulled apart, but our job is to bring it back together into perfect overlap. Like there's, a, there's a, a spirit and soil were together at the beginning, and spirit and soil will be together at the end. And so as we live in a world that's trying to pull spirit and soil apart, our job is to bring spirit and soil and bring it back together again
0: yeah which has huge implications into you know um dualism how we try to create a bifurcated world and honestly christians were guilty of this like oh we talk goodness. we talk about going to heaven sure uh forgetting that god's recreating the earth um yeah. and we forget the image of revelation 21 and 22 when heaven and earth crashed together finally again right um
1: it deals, it deals with sacredness of vocation. Yeah. Because I, we think that there are like some vocations that are like holy and sacred. Yeah. And then but every like before the fall, God had given Adam the calling of sacred vocation. Like whatever it is that we do for labor, for work, at the heart of it, at its essence, it's Genesis one. It's the proper ordering and stewarding of creation, whether we're mm-hmm. a CPA or uh or a pastor, or somebody I mean, who who, who does... does
0: more priestly work than a social worker.
1: Absolutely, and like my goodness,
0: like the the missional aspect of what they're doing is crazy. Like that's or,
1: actually where all yeah. the action is, yeah. and like our job as clergy is to just wake people up to that. But we're not where the action
0: is. Mm-hmm. And as clergy, we're often guilty because we talk about the vocation of ministry, the the calling of ministry, right, as if it's something separate for us, right. Um, and and to be clear. God has a calling on all of us, uh, and so yeah, in some sense, there is a calling to vocational ministry, but it's no less different and no less important than uh, than someone who works the earth correct uh, or someone who works with children uh every week right uh, I mean the uh, you know my child's uh elementary teacher has a huge amount of influence on my kid right, and I hope she takes it seriously and I right. hope she feels the weight and the glory of what she does right absolutely um. Yeah, like, what what we do should be a marriage of spirit and soil. Right. Um, Which is
1: what sets us apart in whatever labor field we are. Mm-hmm. Like, when you capture that, when you understand that, you become something different than just a laborer. Yeah. You become a different kind of laborer that the world, everything starts to hum with a reverence, like a creation genesis reverence, because you're doing the thing that God created us all.
0: And I believe that enables us to rest.
1: Ugh. Ugh. Full could, circle. Right? Footnotes, mic drop.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that's good. I'm still chewing on it a little bit. Yeah, me too. I, I was even thinking of our spiritual disciplines. Like I, I, I try really hard not to use the word spiritual just right. because, not that it doesn't exist, but it, it conveys that misunderstanding that we tend to have of... Right. You know, if I want to be a Christian, I have to do spiritual things. Right. Um, if I, I have to read my Bible, pray, go to church. Which, right. sure, yeah. You also need to change your daughter's diaper. Right. You also need to take care of your bills. Right. You need to mow your lawn. Uh, right. You need to be a good employee. You need to pay your uh, pay your debts. Right. Like, those are all spiritual acts. Exactly. And yep. we need to do those well. Yeah. Um, all right, well, uh, Genesis 1 uh informative uh impactful hope hope that you guys as we do the sermon series you're not just listening to the sermons but that you're reading that you're chewing that you're preparing yourself for the sermon and doing the good work after the sermon we have the easy job of just throwing some content at you uh but the real work begins when it uh the word is heard and you guys try to do something with it so thank you guys for joining us this week and until next week god bless Thanks for listening to this week's footnotes, and please keep the discussion going. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, you can connect with us by emailing comment at liferotp.com, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at liferotp. You can find the individual members of the teaching team on Twitter as well, or just visit us on a Sunday morning and connect face-to-face. We hope you'll join us again next week, and until then, God bless.